0: On so the early lights, once so promising, we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. Whose first rites and bright stars through the perilous lights for the girl we watched. Words so Godland's peace. the deep host, in dread silence
1: Are beautiful words, my friends, and I'll tell you, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's truly what America is about, and we have to remember that. Do you know who Dennis Prager is? Over at PragerU.com. They came out with a YouTube. Video and they're asking Is the national anthem racist? There's been a lot of debate over the years about this, but this is a pretty interesting little video. Let's listen into this.
2: Is America's national anthem racist? Had you asked this question just a few years ago to fans at a baseball, basketball, or football game, they would have assumed you had imbibed one too many beers. Today, thanks to an assault by the progressive left on the Star Spangled Banner and its composer, Francis Scott Key, you might get a different reaction. For example, here's what Jason Johnson, journalism professor at Morgan State University and popular cable news commentator, wrote about the anthem. It is one of the most racist, pro-slavery, anti-black songs in the American lexicon. Is Johnson serious? Actually, he is. And sadly, a lot of progressives agree with him. But why? To answer that question, we need a brief history of the song. Key wrote the Star-Spangled Banner after witnessing the American victory at the Battle of Fort McHenry during the War of 1812, a rare bright spot in the young country's second conflict with Britain a conflict in which the Americans mostly got their butts kicked. Critics like Johnson focus on the third stanza, in which Key mocks the retreating British soldiers. Before describing those lyrics, I need to make a point. The third stanza is virtually unknown. Almost no American has ever sung, read, or heard it. But even so, it's not nearly as offensive as it's made out to be. Here's what Key wrote. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave." The claim of racism focuses, of course, on Key's use of the word slave, which, so the argument goes, refers to the British Second Corps of Colonial Marines. This unit was composed of former American slaves who had been encouraged to escape bondage and fight alongside British troops. According to this line of thinking, The slave owning Key, a prominent attorney, was terribly upset by the idea of freed blacks fighting against their former masters and was so gratified by their defeat that he inserted this line into his poem. Like many Americans living in the early 19th century, Key's record on race was mixed. On the one hand, he owned slaves himself, on the other, he offered free legal representation to slaves petitioning the Maryland court for their freedom. In 1835, he served as prosecutor in a case in Washington, D.C. of an enslaved black man, Arthur Bowen, who was accused of threatening his white female owner. But when a riot ensued over the incident, Key bravely stood between Bowen and a lynch mob bent on killing him. With respect to the anthem, there's no direct evidence that Key was referring to the Second Corps of Colonial Marines, that he even knew the unit existed or cared if it did. It should further be noted that this unit was not even present at the battle, so Key could not have seen them fleeing the field. Why then did Key use the word slave? We'll never know for sure, of course, but it's important to note that Key was not the first person to use the expression hirelings and slaves. It was a common rhetorical device of the time used on both sides of the Atlantic. You find it in newspaper articles and English language literature well before the onset of the war. It was an all-purpose insult that could be used to refer to enemy troops, foreign leaders, corrupt politicians, or anyone else in need of a put-down. For example, in 1795, long before the Second Corps of Colonial Marines even existed, a dispatch from Baltimore condemned the hireling slaves of the English King George III. And remember, slave was a convenient rhyme for grave. Key was, after all, writing a poem. It may be as simple as that. Before the recent ruckus, no one who sang the national anthem thought it sent a racial message. If anything, people believed that the anthem promoted unity as it was intended to do. Besides, as previously noted, hardly any Americans even knew the third stanza existed. During World War II, GIs trying to uncover German infiltrators would ask suspected spies to sing the second or third or fourth verse of the Star-Spangled Banner. If they didn't know the words, they were assumed to be genuine Americans. Those who declare the flag and the national anthem to be racist would do well to remember that Martin Luther King Jr. and his supporters carried the American flag during their famous Selma march. When they reached the state house in Montgomery, Alabama, guess what song they sang? That's right, the Star Spangled Banner. I'm James Robbins, columnist for USA Today and author of Erasing America for Prager University. Thank
1: you. Very interesting. A lot of people do not know that about the Star Spangled Banner. The pettiness. In our world is getting very deep. And if we allow our minds to traverse in this cesspool, that's where we will remain. The pettiness of the world has to go away, or else we're going to remain swimming in it. Our monuments, they reflect our past, it's heritage. And those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it. We should remember that. So when we mock our Star Spangled Banner, or we want to tear down monuments, it's not a good thing, not at all. We should remember that. And let's not let hype drive an irrational decision. That's not good for anybody. Also, the cell phone giant Huawei CFO is fighting for extradition from Canada
3: to the U.S., the defense wrapped up their arguments today. The Crown will, will give their will start their arguments tomorrow. The rebuttal. to argue, yes, she should be extradited. Yes, yeah, she did commit a crime. Yes, yeah, she should be sent back to the United States. This is the first part of a very long process. More dates are set aside in June, where they're gonna, where the argument is going to be that Meng Wanzhou's uh, legal rights were violated by the way she when her arrest at the airport here in Vancouver. So this is the start of a very long process.
0: Uh, uh, <laughs> I said.
3: Today, actually, uh, largely was a follow-up to what occurred in yesterday's first day of the hearing. Uh, Lawyers for Meng Wanzhou, the the executive for the Chinese company Huawei, continued arguments saying that Because Canada does not have sanctions against Iran, she she could not be convicted of a fraud, or she should not go back to the United States and face a fraud charge because she didn't commit a crime in Canada, so she shouldn't be extradited to the States.
1: Now, I want you to remember, this is the gal that was accused of selling... Secrets to Iran. So that is what this is all about. The U.S. accused Huawei of using a Hong Kong shell company to sell equipment to Iran in violation of U.S. sanctions. That's what this is all about. And let's finish listening in.
3: Tomorrow the Crown gives answer. The, the Crown gives answer after hearing two days of why she should not be sent to States. The Crown is gonna argue back that yes, she did commit a crime, yes that under Canadian law she still would have that she still would have committed a violation and that's why she should be extradited.
1: So a lot of people have probably already forgotten about that. But it is hot and it is prevalent and it still continues. Well, are we going to see her come to the U.S.? We'll find out. Another big thing going on is down in Central America, the migrants are pushed back into Guatemala. Yeah, hundreds of Central American migrants who entered southern Mexico in recent days have either been pushed back into Guatemala by Mexican troops, shipped to detention centers, or returned to Honduras. That's what officials said on Tuesday. An unknown number slipped past the Mexican authorities and continued north. The last migrant caravan provided a public platform for Mexico to show the U.S. government and the migrants thinking of making the trip that it has refined its strategy and produced its desired results. So that's very interesting. That's another thing Donald Trump has been working very hard on for America and it seems to be working. You've got these governments doing their job, working with us to prevent the onslaught of all of these people from Honduras and the Central American countries coming up in here. So, good job to Mr. President Donald Trump for that. Uh His plans and his implementation of his plans seem to be working. So why has he been being blocked so much? It's very interesting. I believe it was John Kerry going before Donald Trump, after Donald Trump got elected, and was telling the foreign leaders, just wait this president out. That's disturbing, and we need to remember this country is a republic, and this man is our president, whether we like it or not. I did not like it when Barack Obama was my president, but he was my president. And now that Mr. Donald Trump is in office, I didn't vote for Mr. Donald Trump. I didn't really like Mr. Donald Trump when he first became president. But his actions, they spoke way louder than his words to me. And yes, I'm proud to say Donald J. Trump is the president of the United States. We need to continue the push. We need reforms and we need commitment, strong resolve. Congratulations, Mr. President. I think you're doing a job well done. So, Trump's team gears up for the rebuttal in the Senate impeachment trial. Let's listen into this.
4: Now we do turn to Washington and that bombshell report upending the impeachment trial of President Trump. The New York Times reporting on the draft of former National Security Advisor John Bolton's
1: new book, in which this key witness sought by Democrats claims that Trump told him aid to Ukraine was tied to investigations into Joe Biden and other Democrats, directly contradicting a core plank of the president's defense. Chief White House correspondent John Carl is tracking this breaking news.
5: President Trump's former National Security Advisor John Bolton is the witness Democrats want to testify in the Senate trial more than any other. The report overnight in the New York Times shows just how key he may be to the case against the president. Four weeks ago, Bolton submitted the manuscript of a book he has written to the White House for a standard review to ensure it does not include any classified information. According to the Times, Bolton writes, President Trump told him in August that he wanted to continue withholding military aid to Ukraine, until officials there launched investigations into Trump's rivals, including Joe Biden. This firsthand account directly contradicts what the president's lawyers argued in defending him during the Senate trial just this weekend.
3: There is simply no evidence anywhere that President Trump ever linked security assistance to any investigations.
5: President Trump denied the claims overnight, tweeting, quote, I never told John Bolton that the aid to Ukraine was tied to investigations into Democrats.
4: Thanks to John
1: for that. We're, of course, going to have live coverage of the Senate trial starting at 1 Eastern right here on ABC. So there you have it. John Bolton wrote a book and Trump, he responded to it. Well, another thing that we want to cover today is President Trump delivered remarks to the nation's mayors on transforming America's communities. I want to take time and I want to listen to this man. Listen to what he is actually saying. This is not the same Donald Trump that we saw on the first campaign trail. I think he's really getting a good fit in his position now and he's feeling comfortable he is I don't know starting to take more and more on yet he's running another campaign for the next election this is a lot to do and yet we're still seeing results come out of the White House all the time he's battle- He's battling the Senate trial. He's battling all of these naysayers and these people that have been just pressed on stopping whatever Donald Trump wants to do. It's been constant. Let's listen to Donald Trump. This is about twenty minutes long, but we're going to listen to the entirety of it.
4: Thank you very much. Please sit down, please. It is a great place, isn't it? It's the White House. It's a great place. And it's my pleasure to welcome our nation's mayors to the White House. We are here today to strengthen the bonds of cooperation between the federal and local governments so that we can deliver great jobs, excellent schools, affordable health care and safe communities for all of our people. We are honored to be joined by Secretary Alex Azar. Alex, thank you very much. Secretary Ben Carson, who's done a wonderful job and deals with the mayors a lot. Right, Ben? really great. Administrator Joe Vida Carranza. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. And Acting Secretary Chad Wolf. And your numbers are great. I just looked at your numbers. They're great, Brad. Thank you very much, Chad. Uh, a lot of progress on the border. He, among many other things, including Coast Guard, he controls the border and he's doing a good job. I also want to thank Mayor Brian Barnett, and for helping organize today's meeting. It's been a tremendous success. So many people accepted. A few people didn't accept, actually, and I want to thank you all very much. All across America, cities are being lifted up by our booming economy. America is now the hottest economy anywhere in the world. We've created over 7 million jobs since the election, a number that would be unthought of if I ever said that during the campaign. You know the feeling. They would have gone after me very strongly, huh? Uh? The unemployment rate is the lowest in more than half a century. African American, Hispanic American, Asian American unemployment have reached the lowest levels ever recorded in the history of our country. African American, Hispanic American poverty rates are at record lows. Right? That's great. More than two million millennials have gotten jobs and their wages have grown by nearly 5% every year, which is another record. We doubled the child tax credit, benefiting 40 million American families. And we've lifted 650,000 single mothers and 1.4 million children out of poverty. Ten million people have been lifted off of welfare in less than three years. Earnings for the bottom 10% are rising faster than earnings for the top 10%. You don't hear that too often, but it's been uh, incredible, actually. For the first time in nearly 30 years, every single metro area in the United States has seen incomes rise. Median household income is at the highest level ever recorded. And speaking of that, in terms of dollars... Uh, under President Bush, it was a $450 increase over eight years. Under President Obama, it was a $975 increase over eight years. And under your favorite president, President Trump, it was almost a $10,000 increase over less than three years. So we did it as of less than three. We've been here now just three, as of a few days ago. Uh, time flies, but... uh So that's uh, in a three-year period. So that's something really special. They've never seen growth like that. We're delivering for Americans and we're doing it for every race and color, religion and creed, creating not only the most prosperous, but also the most inclusive economy anywhere in the world. I believe that it's the most inclusive economy anywhere in the world. That's a great thing to create jobs and opportunity We designated nearly 9,000 opportunity zones in distressed communities where capital gains on long-term investments are now taxed at zero. Uh, Opportunity zones have been incredible. Tim Scott, the senator, great senator from South Carolina, came to me two years ago, and he uh, had this idea. And uh, nobody knew it was going to work out the way it has. But billions and billions of dollars are pouring into the communities. Part of that also is the fact that... uh, we're doing so well as an economy that people have the money to put in. But it's, uh, there's probably never been anything like this. Tremendous wealth is now pouring into areas that for 100 years saw nothing, no dollars, nothing. The 35 million Americans who live in these areas have already seen their home values rise by $25 billion over the country. My administration also understands that for our cities to thrive, our citizens must be safe and they must be secure. And that's why we are working with state and local governments through the revitalized Project Safe Neighborhoods, you know that program, Project Safe Neighborhoods, to adopt the most proven and effective crime-fighting techniques. We're also enacting landmark criminal justice reform to improve reentry programs and reduce All of the things that we try and strive so hard to take care of. Um, If you look at our prisons now, we have people coming out and they're able to get jobs more than at any time ever in the history of our country. That's because the economy is so good and we've given incentives and it's been an incredible success. Uh, Employers are really, really happy and people aren't going back to jail at anywhere near the clip it's been something that's been incredible criminal justice reform i was uh, asked by a group of people that were on the very liberal side of things and we got a group of people that were on the very conservative side of things and we got it done nobody was able to get it done we got it done criminal justice reform and it's something we're very proud of it's really working fantastically well as a lot of you as a lot of you know Before my election, violent crime was on the rise, in America so the steepest two-year consecutive increase in murders in nearly half a century. It was in bad, bad condition. In just a short time, we've reduced the number of murders in America's major cities by more than 10 percent, and we're getting tremendous numbers coming out now, much better than even that. The nationwide violent crime rate has declined for two straight years. And working with many leaders in this room, we have boldly tackled the opioid crisis. We've really made tremendous progress, in some cases, down 21 percent. Now, 21 percent is not much when you think of the problem, but we have a lot of things happening. And fentanyl, I spoke with President Xi of China, and they're coming down very hard on fentanyl. We made our deal with China as part of it. Just in terms of relationship, I said, really, you have to do something, and uh, they've – put in very strong penalties and their penalties are really strong you want to talk about penalties those are strict and their court cases go slightly quicker than ours like like one day one day they call them quick trials they go quick they go so quick you don't know what happened ours take 15 years this takes one day but he he's been terrific on that and uh We're seeing a tremendous, uh, tremendous difference in the fentanyl. Drug overdose deaths declined for the first time in nearly 30 years. The Department of Homeland Security is also working directly with many of the mayors and cities uh, really represented so brilliantly in this room to remove dangerous criminals from your communities. Uh, We have ICE is taking out MS-13 gang members uh, by the thousands, by the thousands and we're bringing them back to where they came from. And we've had great cooperation from those countries Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Mexico. Mexico's been terrific. Mexico's given us 27,000 soldiers at our southern border. And uh, we're working really well with Mexico, best we've ever worked with Mexico. When local police arrest a criminal, they run them through a federal database. If the criminal is found to be here illegally, ICE issues a Detainer request honoring these detainers is vital to public safety and we work with the mayors on that and we have some sanctuary cities represented also in the room, but it's been it's been a very tough thing working with the sanctuary cities. But sanctuary city policies that order police to ignore these federal detainers and release criminal aliens to the public. uh, It's really a tremendous risk. The public is uh, you see the statistics, you see the numbers As just one recent example, New York City arrested a criminal alien on assault charges, but under city policy, they defied ICE's detainer request and released the violent criminal. After being freed by the city, the same criminal alien allegedly raped, brutalized, and murdered a 92-year-old woman on the streets of New York. This horrible crime, and there's so many others, was 100% preventable. They wanted to take this Person, I'm being nice. Take this person and bring them out and couldn't get him. I urge you all of you here today to cooperate fully with the federal law enforcement. We're all on the same team. I think that's the biggest point is we're all on the same team. We want to have safety. And uh, you some have sanctuary cities, but even if you have sanctuary cities, we want to be able to work together because uh, tremendous differences in crime numbers can happen. And it's been happening and with some of the mayors in the room and friends with a lot of you i know a lot of you we've had incredible success to further ensure that every child can access the american dream we've made education a top priority that's why we strongly support charter schools and the right parents to send their kids to the school of their choice we want choice at the same time and again you're going to have to do what's good for your community and we work with you but we found that choice is something that's so popular. The people love it. The, the So many different groups of people from different areas, they love choice. We want to ensure that the students and workers alike are able to take advantage of every opportunity in our soaring economy, and soaring it is. In the history of our country, we now have the best economy. Through our pledge uh, to the American workers, more than 400 companies have committed to providing nearly 15 million new job and training opportunities. All Americans, no matter their age or background, should have access to cutting-edge programs that prepare them for the exciting jobs of tomorrow. We have many, many companies moving into the United States. They want to be where the action is. They're coming back car companies, uh, many, many forms of companies. And uh, we're making it a priority to have those companies train people and they're doing that now. We're up to 15 million people. It's uh, really been incredible. My daughter Ivanka has worked very hard on that program. She wanted to do 500,000 two years ago, and we're going to be hitting very shortly 15 million. So she uh, she did a great, uh, great job. Yeah. But families are at the center of our national agenda. We've made charitable and child really looking at it. <clears throat> looking at it, we've uh, we've made such progress with child care, more affordable and increased child care funding for low-income parents. And we enacted paid family leave for government employees, a model for the entire community. Millions of families are benefiting from our ambitious campaign to lower the cost of prescription drugs, which is something you're all working on, and to hold Big Pharma accountable. One of the things we're doing with Ron DeSantis and Florida, as we're going to, uh, we're very close to getting it done, I believe, uh, right, Mr. Secretary, Uh, because of really some terrible laws that if we work together, if we were able to get the Democrats to go along, we could lower prescription prices tremendously. But what we're doing is we're going to allow our mayors, our governors to go out and make deals to buy it from Canada and could be some other countries where the prices are much lower in fact, I think you'll probably save 50%, 50. That'll be a number that nobody's ever even heard of. Can you imagine that? <laughs> so, you'll end up saving, you'll end up saving 50% by buying it. Same pill, same box, same manufacturing, the same manufacturing plant, and you save 50%, which tells you that we can do a lot of great things here. Why should that happen? But we're going to be buying a lot of things from Canada. Canada is very happy and they have much lower drug prices. Can you imagine if you went back and your programs, uh, your prescription drugs are 50 percent lower and we're going to be able to do that? So we have that in a number of states. And Ron is one of the leaders of it. As city leaders, you also know firsthand the vital importance of infrastructure and the painful delays imposed by meddlesome bureaucracy. Earlier this month, we issued a proposed new rule to reduce the permitting time by over 50% for building new roads, highways, bridges, and all of the different things that you have to build, infrastructure in your communities. Uh, We have highways that were taking 21 years to get approved, and by the time they got there, they'd cost 20 times more. They'd cost millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. We had one in a certain state, took 17 years, and it cost I think 41 times more expensive than they originally had approved. And it was instead of a straight line, it was like this. In other words, uh, not even a small drink if you were going to be a driver in that road because it was what a mess. And 21 years it took and it cost many, many times. And the road was a lot longer than it should have been, too, because of the twists and turns, which creates danger. And we have that down to two years now, and we think we'll have it down to one year. And you may get rejected, but it's going to go quickly. It's going to go quickly. And, you know, we have, uh, we have things out there for 20 years, highways, that should not be uh, complicated, and uh, they can't get them approved. And in many cases, they go 20 years and then they get rejected. How would you like to work on that? You work half of your adult life, half of your working life on one road, or highway at the end of they raise it and you lose three to two and that's the end of the project. So for 20 years, you wasted half of your life. My administration stands ready to work with each one of you to make our city safer and stronger and more vibrant than ever before. As part of this commitment last year, my administration launched an initiative to cut federal state and local regulations to reduce the cost of housing. We also hosted a White House summit last month on mental health, a really critical issue confronting many cities and states, finally in the face of attacks on synagogues, mosques and churches in our community, something that is just so horrible. We must work together to reject the monstrous evils of anti-Semitism and anti-religious bigotry. and in a few moments it's uh, thank you for that that's it's, it's uh, incredible enthusiasm for that incredible because it's just it's crazy what's going on is crazy in a few moments i will sign legislation authorizing 375 million dollars for federal grants to help houses of worship and other faith-based and nonprofit organizations defend against violence We are committed to building a nation where every community is secure, every family is safe, and every child can grow up in dignity and in peace. I want to again thank all of these mayors. They're such great mayors, at least some of you. I know a couple. <laughs> but that's okay. You're here, here. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that, right? But I do. I know so many that have done such a great job at this room. Friends of mine, they love their job. They love what they're doing. And there's nobody in the world that can do it better. So I really appreciate you being here. Working together, we're making our cities into thriving and dynamic centers of culture and creativity, innovation and commerce. And we're building a future where all of our citizens can achieve their own beautiful American dream. And I just tell you, our country has never done better than it's doing right now. We're the envy of the world. Our economy is the strongest. Uh, We are uh, doing deals like the great China deal. will be taking in $250 billion. That's Tremendous. They'll be buying 250, 50 billion from the farmers. And it could even go more. I mean, it could go higher. I don't know that they can even produce that much. The fact is, we love our farmers, but they were doing the maximum they ever did was 16 billion in one year to China. And they had a deal that was done. It was at 20. And I said, make it 50. And everyone said, well, you can't. I said, make it 50. And they said, you can't make that much. I said, that's okay, right? We'll buy larger tractors. <laughs> Guess you have to buy a little more land too. But they'll do it. You know, the farmers never let you down. The farmers are gonna do it. It's to their benefit. But so we're going really right in the other direction. We're gonna have numbers. We made a deal with Japan, forty billion dollars. A lot of that goes to farmers and manufacturers. And we've we've created seven hundred thousand manufacturing jobs, which we were told by past administrations but one in particular that you would never have manufacturing jobs. I say you have to be, I mean, how can you not have manufacturing jobs? So we're at 700,000 manufacturing jobs. I'd like to, yeah. And these are great jobs, too. These are great jobs, skilled jobs, high-paying jobs. I'd like to now invite the mayors, community leaders, and members of my administration to join me on stage as I sign this incredible piece of legislation. Took a long time to get it here, but this is something that's very, very special and very, very great for you as mayors. And again, keep up the good work. You've done an incredible job. Thank you.
1: There you have it, Mr. Donald Trump. When you get this man talking business, he can articulate very well and he knows what he's doing. He's getting things done. I'm impressed. Five more years, huh? I don't know. What do you think? That's about the end of our cast today. At the end of our cast, we always open up for free speech time. If you go over to castbox.fm, you can click on that little phone thingy on your screen, and you can get your five minutes of free speech in no matter what you want to talk about it's up to you it's your time now if not make sure you like share subscribe tell all of your family tell all of your friends about us get over here every weekday morning about a.m. 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time we go live on castbox.fm we'd love to have you join us each morning get involved get your message out get united we are america we're strong and it takes all of us to stand up stand up be proud and talk loud don't worry about all of those naysayers we can And we will. And that's the attitude Mr. Trump has. And it's driving America forward. We need more of it. You can go over to deadamerica.website. Find all of our media content. We just had Free Circle Freedoms come out yesterday. We have an awesome episode of Dead America coming up Wednesday. You need to listen to that podcast. It's going to go back to the beginning, the very foundations of America. DeadAmerica.website. Make sure you join us. I'm Ed Waters right here on castbox.fm, keeping it real. Join us tomorrow morning right here, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ed Waters out.